God, we thank you for this scripture. We thank you for this Christmas season that we find ourselves in. And Lord, we pray uh, on this day that uh, you would continue to stir in our hearts and speak to us, help, help us to open our ears and our hearts to hear what you would have to say to us this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would speak through me and speak in spite of me. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy endings. Happy endings are a lot of times things that we enjoy uh, in books, in movies. Um, if you have just got done watching a season of Christmas movies, uh, maybe you're not in the mood to do that anymore, but maybe the past month or so you have watched some Christmas films. Uh, you'll notice that a lot of the Christmas movies have happy endings. A lot of the Christmas stories have happy endings. You look at the Gr how the Grinch stole Christmas, and you'll notice that a Grinch who had a small heart ends up having a heart that grows, and there's just such a, a happy ending at the end. You watch a classic movie like It's a Wonderful Life, and you'll realize at the end, through all the drama, through all the um, pain, through, through all the stories, um, you'll notice at the very end, there's a happy ending. You look at the movie Home Alone, Home Alone 1 and 2, the originals, where Kevin McAllister is left at home, or in the second one where he gets on the wrong plane and ends up in New York City all by himself, and all kinds of uh, drama and, and the family being separated. And, but at the end of both movies, there's a happy ending. And if you watch, watch all those Hallmark movies, those classic Hallmark movies that have the same storyline, every single time, but you still watch them anyway because they're just so good. You'll notice that each time <clears throat> there most likely is a happy ending. You know, in Matthew's account of the Christmas story, we don't really get a happy ending. Matthew starts his gospel by giving the genealogy that starts with Abraham and goes all the way to Joseph and Mary. And then he gives the account of Jesus' birth, followed by the visit of the Magi, or the Magi, however you want to pronounce that. And we'll talk about them more next week, but it would have been a nice happy ending if it had just finished with the Magi presenting gifts to Jesus in Bethlehem. But Matthew moves into a place after that that causes a lot of fear and causes a lot of sorrow. So let's talk about Herod the Great for a minute. Herod the Great got his nickname because he was a great builder. He restored uh, some of the temple in Jerusalem, and he, he was just considered kind of a great builder. But other than that, there really wasn't anything great about him. After the Romans gained control of Palestine, Herod ruled at the throne of Israel from about 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. He was distrustful. He was jealous. He was paranoid. He was brutal. He would crush you if he felt that you were in any opposition to him. He executed one of his wives when he suspected that she was plotting against him. I think he had about 10 wives. He executed one when he found that she was plotting against him. Three of his sons and another wife he also had executed when they, when they were uh, suspected of conspiracy. It was supposedly said that it was better to be one... It's better to be one of Herod's pigs than to be one of his sons. He's a bad dude. He was somebody you didn't want to mess with. He was somebody that was straight evil. 
And when the Magi were following the star and they were looking for Jesus, they came to Jerusalem looking for the king of the Jews. Now, when you come to a Herod that I just explained to you and you're looking for the king of the Jews, his paranoia and his jealousy kicks in. And he tries to trick the Magi and he tries to tell them, oh, when you find out where he is, please tell me so I can go and pay homage to him as well, so I can go worship him as well. But of course, he wanted to know where he was so he could kill him. So the Magi took a different route home and they never ended up seeing Herod again. And when Herod found out about that, he was furious. Meanwhile, Joseph has a dream after the Magi leave. And in that dream, Joseph is basically told, it's time for you to get up, to pack up, and to get moving because you need to flee to Egypt. And you need to do it immediately. And you need to remain there until you're told otherwise. And the reason is because Herod the Great was out to seek and destroy little baby Jesus. So through the night, Joseph and Mary and Jesus leave Bethlehem because of the threat of persecution. They go to to Egypt for safety. They have to leave the land that they know and the land that they love because of persecution. And when Herod realized that he was tricked by the Magi, like I said, he was infuriated In fact, he was so mad that Scripture tells us that he sent people to go and kill the children in Bethlehem who were two years old and younger. So in the midst of a beautiful Christmas story of the Messiah being born, of the Messiah being born, we see the effects of sin in the world. Within the first two years of Jesus' life, his family has to flee persecution, and then there is an unimaginable massacre of children in Bethlehem at the order of the evil Herod. So Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, they stay in Egypt until it was safe to return back home. They waited until Herod died, which was probably the only safe way to do it. But when he had died, an angel appeared in a dream to Joseph and said, it's time to go back to Israel. But guess what? Herod's evil son, who took after his dad, had taken his spot. So reasonably so. Joseph is nervous and afraid to go back because um, Herod the Great's son is now in charge and now in leadership over Judea. And then he has yet another dream. There's like three different dreams in this, in this scripture today. Joseph and Mary ended up taking Jesus to the district of Galilee into a town called Nazareth. So like I may be a Delawarean or some of you may be Marylanders. Um, Jesus is a Nazarene because he's from Nazareth. And you may have heard of the Nazarene church and and things like this. And um, this is how Jesus ended up in Nazareth. It wasn't that he was born there and just grew up all nice and happy there. It's after all this mess of having to leave Bethlehem and go to Egypt and then go to Egypt from Israel and then Israel to, to the district of Galilee where he ended up in Nazareth, which is where he grew up. And this scripture is kind of in three different stages today, or three different pieces. So we see Jesus um, fleeing to Egypt and his family because he was in danger at such a young age. And then we see Herod's evil massacre of children, a tragic event because of Herod's jealousy and paranoia. And then we see the return from Egypt. And notice the connection there uh, with the Old Testament. Uh, Remember the Israelites came out of Egypt, um, out of slavery, 
Um, and now Jesus is returning to Egypt and going, going to Egypt and, and then coming out of Egypt. Once again, we see a story of somebody coming out of Egypt into the land of Israel. It's been a difficult task for me this week to peg down an idea to glean from this scripture passage. I always try to think of something, you know, what's something that we can learn from this? There's always many things, but it's just such a tragic story and, and such a sad story that Matthew records at the end of this Christmas story. So I tried to think, what, what is something I can share with you all this morning about this text? What is something that relates to us? What is something that, um, <clears throat> that we can take home with us today in this Christmas season? And then I began to think about Joseph. I began to think more and more about him, a good man who had been through quite a roller coaster, if you think about it. Let's just think about some of his story. He embraced his calling to go and stay with Mary when she became pregnant. You remember he was thinking about kind of um, separating from her quietly, not shaming her, but he ends up staying with her when she became pregnant. He stayed with her during the whole journey of the pregnancy. He took her with him to Bethlehem to register for the census. He didn't just leave her where she was. He took his role seriously in raising Jesus, even though Jesus wasn't biologically his son. He still took that role very seriously and fathered Jesus. He leads Mary and Jesus to safety in Egypt. He brings them back, and he's willing to resettle in Nazareth where they can grow up and be safe. Now, Joseph is a role model in many ways and is very selfless according to the scripture that we see the accounts of him that we see. But as I prepare for this message, I was reminded that all of Joseph's steps were acts of obedience to what God was calling him to do. How many times did Joseph have a dream of what to do, and then he acted upon that dream and did something about it? In fact, the, uh, Joseph's obedience potentially saved the life of Jesus. God protected Mary, Joseph, and Jesus and Joseph acted in obedience to his dream. What, is, what if Joseph just decided to stay in Bethlehem just to kind of be that guy and say, no, it's just a dream. Um, I'll keep Mary and Jesus safe right where I am. I'll just stay in Bethlehem. Who knows what would have happened? But he obeys. He obeys what, what God is calling him to do. And I think we can learn a lot from that. And that's what I want to share with us this morning, the idea that as disciples, we must be ready to act and move when God speaks. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to be ready to act and to move like Joseph did when God speaks. We are all called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus is on the move and calls us to follow him we're not called to just sit around, but rather Jesus wants us to get out of the stands and get into the game. Where might, be God, uh, where might God be calling you to move today, to, to act out on faith, on something that's on your heart? Where may be God calling you to show compassion to others, to maybe share your faith with another person? God speaks in many ways in order for us to move like Joseph does. How does God speak to you in your life? How do you hear 
the voice of God. It would be nice if sometimes it were as crystal clear as a dream like Joseph had. But sometimes we may need to pay a little closer attention to where God is at work in our lives and how God is speaking. And I think some ways, God can speak to us in many ways, and I think some of those ways involve prayer. I think through prayer, God can speak to us if we take time to stop and to listen to God's voice in our life. As we talk to God, we also take time to listen to God. I can remember um, before, in 2010, before I had a significant amount of um, growth on my back removed, um, I can remember being really nervous about that uh, because I was going to have to be under anesthesia for six to eight hours, and I was just playing through all these situations in my head. What if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? And what if, what if I don't make it home? You know, you know, I just began to think of all these things and get worried and scared. And I remember driving right where I was, and I remember driving and just, um, just kind of praying, <clears throat> praying and offering uh, God, um, you know, this, this surgery. And some of you have been through, you know, far worse than that. And, and we pray and and I felt in that moment a peace, kind of that peace that passes all understanding. And I felt a peace in my heart. And I was ready to just walk right in that surgery that morning. I, I actually had to, it was interesting because there was, um, it was weird to me because usually they, they, they give you anesthesia in, like in another room and then you wake up and the surgery is over. Well, it was like really crowded that morning and... Um, they were pushing me down the hallway, and there was like all this stuff in the way, and they were like, oh, we're really sorry, but you're going to have to get up and walk into the operating room. Um, and I was up in Philadelphia. I had so much peace. I just walked right in there. I saw the surgeon. I said, how you doing this morning? And I just laid right down on the, on the table right there. And then they gave me anesthesia, and I woke up, and it was all over. But I, but I felt like God spoke to me through prayer, and prayer is a way of life. It's listening and speaking with God. But God also speaks to us through Scripture. As we're reading Scripture and we're open to the Holy Spirit, God speaks to us as we read and as we hear it read to us. It's, it can be powerful to have Scripture read to us as well. Let's say I'm about to meet someone um, for dinner or something that I'm having, a, that I have a very anxious relationship with. Do you have any of those relationships in your life where there's just a lot of anxiety when, when, when you're around each other and all that? Well, let's say that I'm uh, going through the book of Ephesians, and I'm in chapter four, and I'm reading this scripture before I'm about to meet somebody, and it says, I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, if I'm reading that before I'm about to meet with someone, God can speak to me through that Scripture. And I can look at that, and, and I can read that, and I can say, okay, this is going to be really hard to meet with this person, but let me... Um, but maybe God is speaking to me and calling me to be 
uh, a person of humility and gentleness and to be a person of patience and to be a person of love. Thank you, God, for that word. Thank you for, for speaking to me through this. So, so that happens when we open up Scripture and read it. It can relate to our lives and, and relate, relate to situations we're going through. And, and when we go put those things in practice, we can be reminded that God speaks to us through not only prayer but Scripture. But you know, another way God speaks to us, at least from my own experience, is that God speaks to us through people. God speaks to us through others. Maybe you've heard a word before from somebody that, um, maybe in a sermon, maybe in a Bible study or in a small group, or maybe you're talking with somebody over coffee and, or, or over lunch and, and they say something that you need to hear. But have you ever heard something from another person and maybe it was a word of encouragement or an act of compassion or something that they just needed to be upfront with you about and it was, and it, it was almost as if God were speaking to you through that person? God can use others to speak to us. I've had good experiences where, you know, um, I've shared some of my story of how I became a pastor and, and got into the ministry, and a lot of that was to do with God using other people to share things with me, to, to, for people to say, hey, I see this in you, um, or I see leadership in you, and things that I wouldn't have necessarily thought myself but I trust that God was using them to help me get to a place where I would answer a call to go into ministry and give my life for this. But I've also have had people speak to me <clears throat> in ways where God needed to get to me in my heart in convicting ways. You know, I've had experiences where maybe I didn't want to hear something and I needed to hear it. Um, that happens all the time. And that's happened throughout my life. And, you know, sometimes I, get, I can get so busy with church stuff or I can get so busy just in life. And sometimes I've had to have, uh, you know, my loving wife say, you need to be home more. And you need to be around the kids more. And I've gone through seasons where um, I've gotten really busy. And God will use her to speak to me and to help slow me down as well. So God speaks to us in many ways. God may speak to you in other ways. God may speak to you through creation, through a beautiful sunrise or sunset or the stars in the sky. You may feel God's presence. We could probably go down the list and go around the sanctuary today and hear different ways that God speaks to us. But that's just a couple of the ways, through prayer, through scripture reading, and through other people. If you've ever been to a track meet, you, you hear the famous words, on your marks, get set, go. On your marks, get set, go. What if you went to a track meet and what if you um, were, were ready to watch this and all of a sudden, uh, on your marks, get set, go, and nobody moved. And nobody, nobody left the starting line. No, nobody chose to, to start the race, to run the race. They, you would think that was just a bit odd, that it was a bit uh, strange that somebody would do that. What if no one moved? You know, each day it's like we, we have a starting place on the starting line where God is calling us to go. God is calling us to move. God is calling us to, 
to say, on your marks, get set, go out into the world. Go into the places you're called to be. Read scripture. Pray while you're doing it. Listen to God's voice and, and through godly people in your lives. As disciples, we must be ready to get off that starting line. We must be ready to go and to act when God speaks. How is God speaking to you on this first Sunday after Christmas? And at the same time, how is God speaking to you in this last Sunday of 2019? What might God be up to in your life right now? Where is God calling you to move and to make that next step? And as we move into 2020, this new year, this sense of newness, may we experience a sense of newness in our relationship with God. May we have a sense of a fresh start, which is we don't need to wait for a new year to have a fresh start with God. We can have it right now in this moment each and every day. But in 2020, may we be guided by the Holy Spirit. May we grow in our love for God and grow in our love for neighbor more than ever before. And may we look a whole lot more like Jesus in 2020 than we did this year. Let us pray.